I genuinely believe people who tell stories, creative storytellers in any shape or form, music, film, and yes, even advertising and marketing, we are going to be the ones people look to to help pull them emotionally out of this sort of dark, challenging place we've all been in. You know, there's a famous quote, I think it's a Native American proverb. It says, tell me the truth and I'll listen. Tell me a fact and I'll learn. But tell me a good story and it'll stay in my heart forever. And so I think for all of us who tell stories or who get to help people tell stories or make stories, we do genuinely have the power to, to, I think, change the world for the better. So hang in there. We're almost through it. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast, powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host, Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Wave Social Podcast. This is, in fact, the finale of season four. It's been fun and we saved a little something special for the end. We got Frankie Rodriguez, who is partner at Anomaly, a global strategic and creative marketing agency. Anomaly has been named Agency of the Year more times than I can count, but recently they were also named Multicultural Agency of the Year, which to me is a really cool accomplishment. Frankie's current role is CEO of Anomaly's New York and Toronto offices. In 2012, he became the youngest ever partner and CEO in Anomaly. He's worked with major blue chip brands like Nike, Budweiser, Captain Morgan, Carnival Cruises, NBA 2K, and Google in their marketing missions. It's fair to say he is an anomaly through and through. So Frankie spends most of his free time with his beautiful wife, Jenny, and their three incredible young children. We get more into that in the episode. Mm -hmm. This one was so good. I personally feel like I got to nerd out with someone who's a bit more experienced in the agency space. And we used to talk a lot about staying hungry and always being in beta. He kind of walks through what that looks like for him, how to preserve your team and culture as you grow, investing in your people. And like truly, they actually do invest in their people, which is kind of cool story. The end, the ins and outs of creating a Super Bowl commercial, which is a, a big dream of mine. So I got to ask him some insider info. Yeah, I wasn't lying during this episode when I said I was furiously taking notes. Like <laughs> there's so many things that he talked about or just quotes that he shared or one-liners that he dropped that I was like, man, we got to change everything. I know. It was inspirational and practical. Yes. Which is really It's rare great. to get both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this episode was two years in the making. We've been trying to get Frankie on the show for a while. So feel special that we get to close the season with him. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool one. He's a man in high demand, but he made time for this and we really appreciate it. And I know that you guys will too. This is the last call for merch. Since this That's is right. the season finale, it also is the merch finale. So there's a limited amount of time that our products will be available on our web store. So we just wanted to shout it out. Make sure that you get what you need before it's gone. <laughs> what is your favorite merch from the season? My favorite merch. Well, I have to confess I haven't even worn the socks yet. I've that just been is kind of crazy. looking at them. They look comfy. Are they comfy? They're so comfy. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think my favorite 
is probably so far the candle, but I, I know I'm going to enjoy the water bottle too. Oh yeah, the water bottle is great. I love all the stickers. On our team, so many people drink their water bottle at the office and it's fun because you can always tell whose water bottle is who by the placement of the stickers and which stickers that they have on That's their water bottle, unique, which is sure. kind of fun. What's your favorite sticker? Hot and ready. Hot and ready? <laughs> You're always hot and ready. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I'm going to read a review here. Wait, like, I didn't get to say mine. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I think my favorite one is drip. Nice. I think it looks really cool, but I don't know. You always want to have that drip. Because you come through dripping. Yeah. Speaking of drip, I won the Alien Door <laughs> New Balance sneaker raffle the other day, and I'm still riding a high from that. I'm very excited for you. It sold out in 21 minutes. I know. Good job. That's crazy. Okay, I'm going to read a review. This one's from A Vibrant Mind. It says, Industry insight with real conversations. Great conversations with a nice variety of experts giving a lot of information I may not get to hear as someone working on a smaller team. Has helped me find great people to check out further and learn more from. That's what we want to hear on this show. So thank you, A Vibrant Mind. We really appreciate that. Well, I mean, we don't have to waste any more time. Should we just get the interview going? There he goes. Season finale of season four. Frankie, welcome to the show, man. We are pumped to have you. Oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming and here we are. This is the finale of our season, so you are the guest of honor. We want to know a little bit about what you've been up to lately. We know you relocated outside of New York City and you found a new family life balance. What does that look like? How has it been? Yeah, no, it's been great, man. Honestly, I, look, I think COVID's changed everything, right? It's changed everything for everyone, I think, personally and professionally. So for us, yeah, you know, we live in New York City in Brooklyn, me, my wife, my three beautiful kids. And at the start of COVID, like a lot of people, I think, you know, we kind of packed up our bags and said, hey, you know, let's let's get out of the city for a little while. You know, New York City was was pretty scary in those early days of COVID. And so we headed out to, uh, we have a small place out in Northwest New Jersey, sort of in the mountains, very rural, very country. And we're like, we head out to Jersey for two or three months while things settle down. And, you know, it's 20 months later and we're still living out here, buying our meat at a butcher now instead of Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and That's awesome. you know shopping at the uh, at the farmers market and yesterday I took my kids on a nice long hike the Appalachian Trail so so yeah it's definitely changed a lot a lot of it in a good way I think if you stand all the way back and kind of think about some of the silver lining in this crazy covid thing I think it's just been like you said just better balance you know more time at home more time with the kids I eat most three square meals a day around the table with my family which it would have seemed like an impossibility pre-COVID, right? Sort of with travel and work schedules and, and all that kind of stuff. So so it's been really good. It's been really good. Yeah. How has it changed things for your agency and your business? Oh, man. How hasn't it? <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's, it's changed everything. You know, I think, I mean, a couple of things as for most people, I'm sure in, in all over the world, really, we sort of moved entirely to a virtual work, right? Remote work, which is a mm-hmm. which is a huge change. So kind of getting used to, especially in a business like ours that relies so much on collaboration and teamwork and, you know, inspiration. Our office has always been such an important place, right? To kind of get people together and be inspired and peek over someone's shoulder and you see what someone else is working on and it inspires you to push a little more or think a little differently. So I think for us, moving to a fully remote model was a huge change, right? So if we had to change the way we did everything, the way we did meetings, the way we presented so much of our work is, is pitching and presenting and selling ideas. And when you're doing it across the screen and you know, knowing most clients don't even have the benefit of a MacBook, you know, 15 and they're on like a, I don't know, IBM ThinkPad and Microsoft Teams. And so all of a sudden you got to think a lot harder about how are we going to present and is it going to translate? And and then production, right? Like remember the very beginning of COVID, like, I mean, productions were shut down, right? So we were sort of doing like 
whatever we can you know, get an up two people cruise to where someone felt safe or we put together a few commercials and spots and content for some clients early days of COVID like last summer that were shot on iPhones and people submitting content. We did this amazing spot for Dick Sporting Goods, one of our great clients. And it was all like at home footage from our employees of like what type of sports they were playing in the house. So people playing tennis in their narrow hallway with frying pans. I mean, it literally was like whatever we could get our hands on. And then eventually, you know, we moved to like managing full up pretty big live action, six cities, multi-million dollar production for Coca-Cola last year. And we did it entirely remotely, right? People sort of patching in from wherever they were. We have director in LA and shooting in London and Spain and creative team in New York. And I mean, it was, it was wild. And then I think that, I mean, those are all the sort of like, I think that's how it's changed everyone. I think the other Mm -hmm. big change is just like emotionally and mentally, right? Managing big teams, so many of whom who like emotionally are just tapped out, right? I mean, I think all of us, we we talk a lot about Anomaly. When we got into this, we thought it was a sprint at the beginning. Like, you know, it's COVID things happening in a couple months. We got to put our heads down and do the work and get through it. And then you realize like, oh, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. You know, we're in this for... You know, we used to count the days. We, you know, I'd, I'd do the Monday morning all agency. We'd say, "All right, welcome to you know anomaly work from home day seventy nine, day two ten, day." And once you get past day three sixty five, you're like, "All right, welcome." You know, it's like it's not even a thing anymore. Like work this, from home year two. Yeah, it's like th- this thing is the thing. You know, so I think people are just exhausted. So trying to find new ways to help manage people through, right? Like I think being a leader against this context is is really really hard. Yeah, 100%. I I remember Mitzi and I got to be in your Toronto offices a few years ago and we were just blown away at what the vibes were like there. Like from the bullpen, everyone working in the same room to like the studio, like production facility you guys set up there to the bar with beer on Massage room. Yeah. Yeah, So to go from that to work from home, you know, like that's a huge transition and like not just in like how you work, but also just from connection to like lack of it for lack of better words. But it sounds like you found a way to manage it and you guys kind of have a long-term solution for it. Do you anticipate that things will eventually return to normal in some way for your teams or what do you think your approach to work will look like in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for sure it'll, it'll be a new normal, right? I don't think it'll ever go back. It can't go back and it shouldn't. I don't think, I think we've learned, I actually read this great article on Inc magazine last week. I think it was, it was a big survey study that was done by Microsoft. They surveyed like a hundred thousand Microsoft employees. And basically the premise of the article was, was effectively saying that, remote work actually is successful in the short term. Short term productivity goes up. People are able to concentrate on punching through their checklist with sort of less interruption and distraction, all those sorts of things. But the long term impact is actually really negative, specifically on innovation and creativity, right? It's kind of basically mm. saying so. So I think we can never go all the way back and we can't, from my view, at least we've made the decision at Anomaly, we can't stay the way we are permanently. So there's certain agencies who've made a call and certain tech companies who've just kind of gone permanent remote moving forward. We can hire employees from anywhere in the world. That's a benefit, right? We're in New York. Our offices mm-hmm. are in Soho or we're in Toronto, downtown Toronto and Spadina. You hired an employee before they needed to be able to show up five days a week, right? A lot of companies are saying, hey, we're, we're going fully remote. I think for us, the answer is it has to be hybrid, right? What can we take and benefit that we've learned over the last 20 months, right? So going back to what we were saying before, it's even some of the personal things, just like more balance, more time at home for parents, parents or for young families. I mean, I think about the fact that we used to fly from New York to San Francisco, no judgment here, right? This was business in America. It's capitalism, right? We used to fly from New York to San Francisco, six and a half hour flight, sometimes four or five people for a 90 minute meeting with a client and then turn around sometimes and come back the same day or stay one night in a hotel and 
some of those things are, are going to be important again, because this is a relationship business and, you know, seat time and FaceTime and after the meetings, you have the dinners, but sometimes you go, actually, we could really do this effectively in a 90 minute video, video chat. I think it'll be a hybrid. You know, we're talking about three days, three days in the office, starting in November in New York, Toronto is probably a slightly different timeline, but three days in the office, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two days from home, Mondays and Fridays, right? Build critical mass at the same time, create moments of collaboration and inspiration and cross-departmental thinking, and then, you know, try and bookend the week with head down work. And we picked that schedule because we talked about modes of work, right? We tried to distill it. We're like, there's three kind of different types of work. There's collaboration, there's concentration, and there's consultation. When you have concentration work, I got to write a white paper. I'm working on a deck. Like, you could do that from home, no sweat. But sometimes if you're like, man, I'm we're brainstorming ideas for the latest, whatever it is, Unilever product that we're launching. Like, I, I want to be around people. You know, I need the energy. So I think that's going to change and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Nice. We're just adopting a hybrid work from home model as well, but I like the way that you approach that into different tiers of work. I feel like that would give a lot of clarity for people. Yeah, I'm furiously taking notes. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about when you opened the office in Toronto and you grew it from six to 130 people while still maintaining a small agency culture. And Mike mentioned we were actually in the office a few times and it does like you catch a vibe when you're there. And many of our listeners come from a more small to medium sized agency or a brand setting. Can you share a bit about the process of going from small to to big. What was that like for you, not just in terms of hiring people and going from a small team to a big team, but also challenging the teams that you had to maybe coming from small to think big? When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I mean, I think a couple things, right? Yeah, we opened our doors in Toronto April 16th, 2012 is the day I opened the office. And we had six employees and one client and a very big office. We had 50 desks, but only six people. And I remember our first client meeting, we did the, the thing you see in like, I think it was like Mad Men or what do you mean? Like we, we literally spread our, our chairs and sweatshirts around on the different seats and we asked our employees to invite a friend or a roommate in for an hour or two just to we, – we trying to make the space feel bigger, you know, more crowded. So it was pretty, pretty humble beginning. And then I think – I thought originally I was going to be in Toronto for two years and then come back to New York. Two years turned into three, into four, into five. And when I left, we were about 130 people. So it was, it was definitely big growth and pretty quick growth. I think in terms of managing it, you know, what I always tell people is, you know, the first and most important thing is, is have a vision right from the very beginning for the company you want to build. Like have a vision. What are the values? What's the defining culture going to be? What are the types of people? I used to do this game when I was in Toronto because, you know, I had a lot of time in the beginning. <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> what my employees would like. I would actually close my eyes, imagine a conversation between a future employee of Anomaly Toronto when they're in their social circles, right? Because we have a pretty young workforce, 20s and 30s, really social, go out, food, drinks, shows. And I would imagine they get asked the inevitable second question, right? Because everyone, you should meet someone new, you get, what's your name? And, and eventually you get to the second question, right? What do you do? And I would imagine someone works at Anomaly and they go, oh, you know, working at this new agency, Anomaly. And people either, you know, the response I would want is, oh, wow, that's really interesting because they would know about us. and Or they would say, oh, I've never heard of them. What's that like? 
And I would literally imagine what do I want the employee to say when they describe what it's like to work at a company. And so that's how specific when I say have a vision, because some people go, yeah, I've got a vision. You know, we want to be successful and make great content and have fun. And so that's, that's not a vision. I mean, that's table stakes, right? Who starts a company and doesn't anticipate success and, and hopefully some level of joy. So I think it's getting really specific. And then I think starting at the end and working back. So I had to envision 70, 80, 90 people filling our office at Anomaly and had empty conference rooms that I had to envision meetings happening in there and think the types of people. Because when you, when you have a vision and you start at the end, you then work back from the end. So you go, okay, if two years from now, we're going to be you know, a hundred person company with 10 clients, and we're going to be making Super Bowl ads and product design and innovation. What are the types of people we need? And what are the types of experiences I need now that'll help us be successful then? Versus what I think most people do is they make decisions based on exactly where they are in the moment. So they're like, all right, here's where I am. I have no clients, I have no people, and we need money, and I have two choices in front of me, and I'm going to decide which of those two choices looks better based on where I am right now, as opposed to I'm going to decide which of those two choices look better based on where I want to get to and the skill sets I need then. Because the answer might be different. You might actually go, we're going to take this project that I'm actually not that stoked about on the surface because it's not the type of work I necessarily want to be doing at our agency right now. But the reason I'm going to take it is because it's it's with a real estate company and the real, and this is a true story in Anomaly Toronto in the beginning, you know, we started working with Great Gulf, which I'd never heard of, right? They're like, I think they're the second largest real estate development company in Canada, but I hadn't heard of them. They're not really a consumer facing brand. And I'd come from Anomaly New York where we worked with Blue Chip Fortune 100 companies and brands, Virgin America, Converse, Nike, Budweiser. And it's like, oh, our first pitch was for Great Gulf Homes. And you just go, oh, that doesn't sound sexy. That doesn't sound cool. But you go, hang on a minute. We're actually going to, the nature of the work is going to be so strategic. We're actually going to learn. It's almost going to be more like consultancy work than advertising work. And that's going to help us down the road if we genuinely want to be, you know, really innovative agency that's offering really smart thinking for our clients. We might actually learn a ton from this. You know what? Let's go for it. And we pitched for a project with Great Gulf. It was only $50,000 project for like six months of work. It's good money, but it's not a lot of money. And then in the end, it was probably a three-year relationship for us with Great Gulf doing all different sorts of building branding and launching a golf brand for them and helping them design and brand the experience on one of their yachts. And I mean, it just turned into this really interesting thing. So I think have a vision, start at the end, work back. And then the third thing I'd probably say is like commit to the important things without letting the urgent things push them out. So many times there's like in our heads, early days, you go like, this is what's important. I got to do this, this, and this. You never get to that list because all these urgent things pop up and we make the mistakes and I still do it, right? But I think it's human nature, right? Sort of you let the urgent push out the important and ultimately that's what sort of prevents you from growing and scaling, I think, in the way that you you really want to. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. I think I deal with that every day, that urgent versus important. So that's absolute gold. I feel like your answers were kind of built around like, how do you build the company from a business perspective? Mm -hmm. Obviously, vision and values is cultural as well. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the culture side, more so because yeah, yeah. like Anomaly Toronto was likely a, its own company, but it wasn't a new brand. You know, yeah, yeah, you came yeah. from Anomaly New York, you were working with these blue chip companies, right. you'd been part of it for a while, they trusted you as the CEO. And I believe you're the youngest partner in their history too. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like you were coming in with swagger from New York into <laughs> Toronto, yeah. you had big plans, but obviously you want to protect that culture as you bring on all these new people in a really like escalated yeah. timeline. So how did you protect that side of the yeah, business? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm glad you asked, Mike, because well, I would argue that's 
as important, if not more important than the business side, right? Well, I, look, I had the unique, I had a very unique benefit. I always tell people I'm lucky, blessed, however you want to look at it. One, because I had spent five years in New York at Anomaly New York already. And I started just as a junior account guy. I wasn't a partner. I'm one of the few partners who, who wasn't hired in as a partner, who, but started as an employee and worked, worked through it. So I had five years in New York experiencing what worked well. What was Anomaly doing? I wasn't part of the agency leadership team at the time, but what did they do that worked well, that I responded well to? So I got a chance to take all that already. It's almost like cheating, starting halfway and bring it with me. But then also had the benefit of going, what didn't work well? What didn't I like? What would I have done differently? You know, how do I create a more transparent sort of culture or whatever? And then, as I said, like the values of the company, a big value of Anomaly Toronto was, and it sounds, you know, trite when you say it out loud, but it was joy. It was just having fun. We're like, you know, this is a tough business. And one of my biggest observations in moving to Canada from New York is, and that's not to say Toronto's lazy or in any way, shape or form, not as ambitious as New York or New Yorkers, because that's not the case. But, you know, Canada is a different, when you come from New York, every other place is a little bit slower, right? And so I, mm-hmm. I, I noticed right. right away when I got to, to Toronto, like, oh, okay, the culture is a little bit different. There's a little more balance. It's almost like American ambition with European sensibility, right? Like there's a little, a little more balance, a little more sort of, I think, ring fencing work from home life and personal stuff and cottage country on the weekends and half days on Friday. Like, like so, so you kind of go, oh man, this is, okay, this is the culture of this community. And we're, we work in a really super demanding industry already. And then Anomaly places even higher expectation on our people because our clients have super high expectations of us. So you go, the only way we're ultimately going to get people to commit emotionally to our place is to create a company in an environment where they actually enjoy being here. Right, where they're not looking at the clock, waiting till five thirty, six o'clock to leave, but they're like the day ends and they're still hanging around, and that's what we did, and we focused hard on it. So, you know, I talked about we had six employees and whatever fifty empty desks. We had a ping pong. I mean, this is typical agency stuff, right? But we had a ping pong table, and we had a pool table, and we had a foosball table, and we started working with this alternative high school for at-risk youth called OSF, the Oasis Skateboard Factory. And we had all these kids, teenage kids, high schoolers coming into our office building skateboard brands. And I'm like, man, this is such a dope partnership. We should do something to really honor it and celebrate it. We built a half pipe in our office. We had a skateboard rent. We ended up having to take it down because it was really not safe. <laughs> and we had, to get an inspe- we had to get an inspection one year. And so we were like, that's not going to fly. They might shut the company down. But you know, we had a skateboard ramp and we had two bars. So we really focused on making the culture of the office joyful and enjoyable, right? We did all these things. We did a yearbook every single year, right? Where, which was so important. And it was so silly, right? Because here I am, I'm the CEO, we started an agency. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough clients. I got to build the business, but I'm spending days and weeks planning out our yearbook and meeting with the design. And you know, some people in business might go like, what are you doing, man? You're focusing on the wrong thing. And you go, no, because I know the importance, right? Of my employees being at home in their small Toronto apartment with a roommate or a friend comes by and this yearbook is sitting on their coffee table. And they're like, oh, what's that? And they're like, a yearbook from, from work. And they flip through and you can see all the work we had done, the things we had created, the Budweiser red light, and Olympic spot for Nike Canada. And you see photos and, and it becomes such a point of pride that all of a sudden you're getting more out of your employees, right? There's an emotional contract as much as there's a, an employment contract. And I just think those things, those culture things are so important. And we never got away from them. We still do them 10 years later, right? We have Anomaly Week every single week. Uh, excuse me, every single year around our anniversary, we created this thing called the Anomaly Olympics, where we divide the entire company up into eight teams, eight fake countries. And for an entire week, they compete in different sports and different activities. And, you know, so we really, really commit, I think, to that cultural side of the, of the company to balance out, I think, the sort of high demand and high expectation we put on our people. 
Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I love that. I feel like we already want to do a yearbook after talking to you about that. I oh, think it's man, so it's so worth it, Mitzi. I, t- I save them really? still. I probably have, if I go and look here or back at, at the house, I probably have seven or eight yearbooks I've saved over the years awesome. between New York and Toronto. And they're themed, you know? So like mm-hmm. one, year's, one year it was themed Mars. I don't know why. This was before like all the crazy billionaire entrepreneurs started going to Mars. It was like maybe 2014. And so that, that was the entire, because, you know, we were sort of breaking new frontier, I guess, in Anomaly Toronto. And so mm-hmm. the entire thing, and they committed, the design team really committed to it. And they would put people in spacesuits and there was a, just, I mean, it was beautiful. And another year, it was I love that. our first year, because I'm big time diehard, like 90s hip hop kid. And like, so the first year, the whole theme was 90s hip hop. And like the front cover of the yearbook looked like uh, Tribe Called Quest Midnight Marauders album, you know, with the sort of neon. And it was just great. And I still have them. And I still, when I'm not feeling great and I, <laughs> I need to pick myself up sometimes, I'll just look back and go, yeah, we're good, man. You know, we're, we're going to be all right. We're yeah. going to come through this. Yeah, I think that's great because it also kind of lets you focus on the overall project rather than like the small tasks that maybe stressed you out in the moment and things like that. Yeah. Just remember the big picture and what you've actually accomplished together. On the spirit of celebrating and honoring your team, what do your Christmas parties look like? Oh, good question. We have a lot of parties. Well, we used to. So again, <laughs> ring fence this whole answer in pre-COVID. We have a lot of parties start the year. We do a big end of year party, holiday Christmas party every year. We do a big party usually in the summer, like a summer party, which is usually around Anomaly Week. We used to, used to usually have like a pretty big Halloween party. So sort of pulse throughout the year. And they used to be really exp- not expensive, but you know, you, you spend a lot of money, you'd, you'd invest in it. Because again, it's less about the party and the social and the drinking and more about the celebration, standing back, taking inventory of what you accomplished as a company together as a team individually. So, you know, our parties would be open bar, good food, nice venue, try to change the location each year so it doesn't get played out. People come in, like you'd expect social hour, cocktail hour in the beginning, people hanging around, getting drinks, you know, live music usually. And then it always transfer. There'd be a moment, we called it the show moment. And it would only be about 45 minutes. And that would be where every year we'd put together a reel, like a sizzle reel, you know, looking back on the year, the work we'd made, the things we'd accomplished. The reels were, again, I have them all, I saved them all. There were always a combination of work we'd done and produced and things we'd made, as well as the internal cultural stuff, right? So people in and around the office doing the Olympics or whatever, the OSF mentorship program we run, as well as the Budweiser Red Light Super Bowl commercial and all that kind of stuff. So we'd always play that video and it'd be a big point of celebration. And I'd give somewhat of a speech, usually me or some of the other partners, my creative partners give a speech on the year, what we did, what we should be proud of, what we learned, maybe where we failed, what we took away from it. And then we'd always celebrate people. We'd always do awards every single year. I remember year one in Anomaly Toronto, I created these awards. It was Employee of the Year, Heart of the Company, and the Unreasonable Award. We have this philosophy I can explain later about being unreasonable. It's a good thing based on the George Bernard Shaw quote. But so employee of the year, heart of the company and the unreasonable award. And the winners of those awards all get a free trip anywhere in the world. And I remember when we did it the first year, people were like, what the flip? Like, are you serious? Like anywhere in the world? Of course, like anything, there were like disclaimers, right? It was like 
anywhere in the world that United Airlines flies because like, you know, the, the company credit card was reward miles with United. So, you know, there was like, we did it in a way that was financially responsible, but it was like really important because I'm a big believer what you celebrate, you duplicate, right? So if you put the mm-hmm. right type of work up on stage and celebrate it, you put the right type of people up on stage and celebrate it, you get more of that. So we'd always do that. And then year two, we created a new category called the People's Choice Awards because year two, we were already like 60 people. And you're kind of like, well, I don't know everyone ins and outs. And so People's Choice Awards. So we would still do the big three, Heart of the Company, Unreasonable, and Employee of the Year. But then we'd have five awards that we let people choose at the event, at the spot, at the party, right? And it was like Most Inspirational Leader, or we had one called the Mad Hatter Award, which is like the most versatile person on the team, right? So we started doing that and it was it was really cool. And then of course, people stay out late and have probably too much to drink and too much to eat and it all goes wild. And but those are the days, right? And I think now that's all yeah. changing. And again, some of it for good reasons, some of it for less good reasons, I think. There's a lot more accountability, which is definitely a good thing, I think, inside of agencies and creative companies, right? Making sure you're creating the right environment and a safe place, make sure people aren't going too far and, and all those sorts of things. And I think COVID will change it again still, right? I think right now, if I think about 300 people packed into a small New York City venue for four or five hours on end, you just go, I'm not exactly sure that's what we want to be doing anyway be interesting yeah well we'll be watching excited to see what you what you come up with what you cook up it'll yeah. be good it'll be fun um mm-hmm. yeah definitely well you talked a little bit about values and then also the this idea of like what you celebrate you replicate which i think is absolute absolutely true we just went through we did some work ourselves to articulate some company values i think it's been really like the fruition of culture and values that have taken shape because of how we work together and the people that we have on our team and now we finally articulated it but two of them were pretty similar to values that i've heard you hold at anomaly which is being hungry and humble so i just wanted to hear a little bit more about that why you chose hungry and humble maybe what some of your other values are and how you really nurture that anomaly yeah i love that it's a great it's a great question well it's interesting so stay humble stay hungry actually isn't isn't stated officially as part of our values i'll tell you our values but that's like we have these maxims at anomaly like quotes and sayings and expressions we live by. I mean, obviously they are sort of born from the values, but our values are ambition, innovation, creativity, entrepreneurialism, connectedness, curiosity, authenticity. So those are our official values, right? And I think all of them from day one written in the Anomaly Papers back in 2004, they've never changed. They will never change. Those are our values as a company. We look for people who have those values as human beings because I think when you get the overlap, personal values and corporate values is when you get the best out of people. So when, again, you talk about curiosity, I think it's probably one of the most important things, connectedness, right? Like being willing to collaborate and listen and grapple gracefully with somebody who doesn't share your opinion and all those things, right? Those are values. I think stay humble, stay hungry, really, that, that really just came from this idea that, and if you forgive me for a second and indulge me, I'm a big sports fan. You know, I love sports, all love sports, it. even hockey now, thanks to my five years in Canada. Nice. So I watch the NHL, the NFL, Major League Baseball, I even watch MLS. I know it's not as good as Premier League, but I, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. And so I think there's a lot good about sports and team sports and a lot of analogies that sort of apply. And I talked a long time with partners at Anomaly kind of saying, this is obviously is not a prerequisite. I happen to notice because you've been at one company for 15 plus years, a lot of the people who ultimately went on to be long-term successful at Anomaly, like stayed with us for a long time and moved up a lot, happened to play team sports at some point, which I just think is super interesting, right? Because I think there's a lot you learn doing that, right? So anyway, so that's where stay for us, stay humble, stay hungry came from where when you start out and you're hungry, it's like the challenger mentality, right? You're a startup agency, you have a chip on your shoulder, you have something to prove, nobody knows who the heck you are, you meet with clients and you're like, hey, give us your business. And they're like, why? Why should we give you your business? 
right? We don't even know who you, we've never heard of you. You haven't done anything yet. What can you point to? What have you made? And you're like, well, we don't have anything yet because no one's hired us yet, right? So you have this sort of, then you hopefully achieve and attain a level of success. And sometimes that success can actually be the thing that knocks good, creative, innovative companies off their track, right? Because you, you succeed, success gets more success, you get more clients, you do more work, you get more money, you get bigger, maybe you get distracted, lots of things become urgent, you stop doing the important. And before you know where you are, there's this like slow, gradual drift and gravitational pull into mediocrity, which is what happens with most mm -hmm. agencies, right? You just, you get successful, you get bought by a holding company or some other bigger company. And before you know where you are, you're like, wait, what happened to the thumping creative agency that I built? And so I think that's where Stay Humble, Stay Hungry came from was like, irrespective of our level of success, we need to act as if we've done nothing almost every single day, right? We said sort of imagine the partners at Anomaly are like a coach on an awesome team where you just go, man, we celebrate our people when they deserve it. We love them. We respect them. We treat them with respect and kindness. But we also demand the best out of them every single day. And we remind them when we're not doing our best. There's this quote. I think I heard it from Ice-T actually on a podcast a long time ago. And I fell in love with it. And so I have it painted as a mural in my office and I'm in New York behind my desk. And it says, success isn't owned. Success is rented. And rent is due every damn day. It's a little bit of a- I love that one. Yeah, it's a little bit of a nutty mentality. But I, I, you know, I think that's the only way you can keep- being great is by believing you haven't done anything supremely great yet, right? And I think for us, and that's the biggest challenge, right? We went from mm -hmm. when I joined Anomaly in 2007, it was 40 or 50 employees in one office on one floor. Now we're seven offices around the world and I don't know, 700 people. And we've been named agency of the year multiple times and multicultural agency of the year and all these things. And you just go, that's awesome. But also you go, that's all behind us. What are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing on the other side of COVID in 2022? right? What, what's going to make us great then? That's the mentality that kind of drives us. That's so good. I feel like that's connected. I've read up on you. We have a personal relationship, but I've, I've read my share of articles. You stalking well me, Mike? This and, yeah, I'm all over it, man. <laughs> I'm just it. trying to learn. By the but, way, um, sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I should have said this at no the worries. beginning. You said you guys were looking forward to this. I've really been looking forward to this also all week because as Mike said, we have a personal relationship. And I think we first talked about your podcast like two or three years ago, and then it just... We weren't able to make it happen. But so I wanted to make sure I was set up to do this well. And hopefully this is helpful for folks. But one of the things I did is I lit the candle you all sent, the Waves Mala oh, candle. Love I love it. I love it. Oh, good. Um, so thank you for that. And I'm, I'm not sure that was worthy of interrupting your question, but I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> no, that's a that's a shameless plug for the candle, man. People need to go pick it so up. So good. This. <laughs> Setting the vibes in Northwest New Jersey. That's it. Setting the vibes. Like Sorry, so you were, you were asking a question. Yeah, I was just saying, I feel like a lot of what you just said connects to some of the things I read about you and Anomaly. And one of the things that stuck out to me was this idea of always staying in beta. Yeah. And I'm sure that connects partly to the humble thing, like showing up every day, like we've accomplished nothing, but also to some of the stuff we were planning to talk about in this conversation around innovation and what you guys do with that. So, yeah. I mean, for me as an agency owner, this idea of staying in beta sounds like my, to be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed of it. It sounds exhausting. Yeah. But I'm also like weirdly attracted to it and I want to know more so I can apply it at our team. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And it's a good point. Listen, it is exhausting. It's hard, right? So much of, and, if you, mm -hmm. and I'll get to your question, Mike. Well, I'll go a little bit wider first. Always in beta. You go, we are called to be leaders inside of our companies, I believe. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously, I think irrespective of where you are, what company you work at, I think you, you have an ambition to be a leader in some way, shape or form. And like leadership is hard because- it's not actually, you know, in my mind, everything, the context 
has changed around us so much, but actually what it means to be a leader, I think hasn't changed and I don't think it, it will ever change. And I don't think it's actually just getting people to follow you. I think it's, it's actually making more leaders and, and making situations you're in better as a result of your presence and then actually having your impact stay after you've gone. And that's really hard, right? It's really hard, especially right now to lead people because like what people want more than anything right now, and by the way, God knows we deserve it after the last 20 months is like security and comfort. Mm -hmm. So everyone's craving right now, right? Everyone wants some sort of comfort, some sense of security you can count on and rely on, which personally is a great thing, I think. But professionally, if you have any entrepreneurial drive or spirit in your DNA, it's death, right? Like I think it's, it's the opposite of what you need. And I think it's like, you know, there's so many cliche quotes about it, right? But I, I love one that's like something like if you, if you really focus on what's calm and comfortable, you'll be denying yourself of what's truly possible, right? And it's like this idea of, in a work sense, don't let yourself get comfortable. And in a company named Anomaly, where we're supposed to be, you know, doing things differently for ourselves and for our clients, the day we're comfortable, the day we set the foundation and forget it, set it and forget it. And here's the rule book and here's the blueprint and here's how we do it. And here's the anomaly way, go off and get it done is the day we stop being anomaly. So for us, that's why we say things like always in beta. It's like every six months we're going, are we still an anomaly? I know we were anomaly 15 years ago when we started. No one was doing the things we were doing. No one, right? We threw out timesheets, right? The fundamental billing practice of how agencies were built, right? We, we don't do those. We hire people don't ever work in advertising agencies. We make our own brands and products and services. We had our own in-house version of Shark Tank before the show Shark Tank even existed, right? We did all these things. And you go, that was different then. No one else was doing it. 15 years later, I don't think anyone else is doing it sincerely or genuinely the way that we are, but all agencies claim to, right? Like very few agencies who say, yeah, we're just like every other agency. Every agency, oh, we're totally different. We, we do everything. We, do, we have IP. We, they don't really, but still you go, that's what our clients are hearing. Right when they do a new business pitch and they're meeting with different agencies, it's all starting to sound maybe to them the same, starting to sound like propaganda. So against that macro context, what are we actually doing to be an anomaly? How are we still delivering anomaly? How are we still being different? Right? How are we still pushing the boundaries? And then in terms of the work, like I mean, you all know this, I'm sure from the work you do right at your place. Like so much of it now is social and digital, and those rules change mm -hmm. every six months. Right? The algorithm. Mm -hmm. I remember three or four years ago where like. So much of our clients spend and so much of what we made would go out on Facebook, right? And the algorithm would change every six months, right? It's like, well, yeah. we, we need to post six times a week, five times a day. And then it was like, no one sees the posts anymore. Organic posts aren't a thing and it only paid. So like change. And now you just go, Facebook, who's advertising on Facebook, right? Like we're trying to get the mm -hmm. elusive, younger, diverse, multicultural American. Well, they're not on Facebook anymore because their parents are there. So now it's like, what are we doing on TikTok? What are we doing on Instagram? And, and so you just, I find practically, and from a principle level, we have to change. So we don't have a process at Anomaly. We have what we call an operating system. And we talk a lot about the principle of flexibility within a framework. So it's not like the wild, wild west where there's no rules and there's nothing to rely on. And every time you get a brief, you're starting from scratch. That would be, as you say, Mike, utterly exhausting. So you go, there's some principles and there's a general approach for how we do it. But then within that, you know, there's the flexibility to change it up, do things differently, call an audible right? Going back to the sports analogy, right? The best quarterbacks are the, be you know, the ones who are able to, I know the play, I got it in my head. I can see the X's and O's when I close my eyes. But then the moment you get up to that line and you look out, you're like changing the play. That's it. I saw something and I'm changing the play and we're doing something completely different. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that in this business, then 
I think long-term success is going to be really, really hard. It's amazing. It's so good. I'm going to be selfish a little bit and maybe a little vulnerable Do too. It. One of my career dreams is to work on a Super Bowl commercial one day. And I know you've got lots of experience there and always done over 30 Super Bowl campaigns, which is a lot. I'm wondering if I could just pick your brain about that a little bit. And if you could share maybe some inside info, how long does it take to create an ad? How many people are involved start to finish? What's the investment look like? Wow. Great questions. Yeah, we've been fortunate. I think, we, I think we've done, don't quote me, I think we've probably done close to 30 Super Bowl commercials in our 17-year history, right? We've done over 10 just for Budweiser mm-hmm. alone, right? The Puppies and Clydesdales and one with Helen Mirren. And years ago, we did a Microsoft Super Bowl commercial with Megan Fox. I remember that nearly broke the internet. And we did a Squarespace one with Key and Peele and Shock Top and New York Life. And you know, this year, we did one for Jimmy John's with Brad Garrett, which was hilarious. We created this character called Tony Bolonovich, the sandwich king of Long Island. <laughs> You know, last year we did this beautiful Super Bowl ad for New York Life called Agape, which is about love and that real love takes action. Love is a verb and it was earnest and beautiful. And, you know, it aired in February 2020, which like the world was already catching wind of the, excuse my language, the shitstorm we were about to head into. So, so anyway, so I think we've done a lot. And so what I would say is, you know, to answer some of your questions directly, some of them I can tell you, like the investment level, right? I don't know, on an average Super Bowl, you're looking at somewhere between six and $8 million media investment just for a 30 or 60 second spot, right? So it's like millions. And then if you're going to, you know, we always tell clients, if you're going to show up to the big dance, you got to show up prepared. So it's like, don't allocate all of your budget because it's a stretch, right? That's big money. You're talking seven, mm-hmm. eight million dollars. Make sure you still have enough money then to invest in the production of it. So it's usually a seven figure production budget, right? To actually then make mm-hmm. the commercial. And then music is for most spots in films, you do so, so important. So you're talking again, and licensed music nowadays is really expensive because it's mostly how a lot of musicians still make a living, right? Like, because the whole music business has changed so much. So anyway, so it's expensive. You're talking all in. If I had to guess, I'd say between the production budget, media investment budget, like the pre, the post, everything, music, licensed talent, you're talking a $10 million plus investment from the client to do a Super Bowl campaign that's of note. All the other questions, like how many people, how long does it take? Is like, you know, how long is a piece of string? It depends completely on the client, the ask, their budget, right? The brand, something like Budweiser, which is kind of, or any Anheuser-Busch beer brand. They've been doing the, you know, Super Bowl game for a long time, you know, so it's mm-hmm. not a, never a surprise. I and mean, they know every year it's coming. We start nine months out, right? Multiple briefs, right. multiple teams. You plan for research, multiple rounds of research. You test the script before you make it. You make an animatic. You test the animatic. So there's like so much prep, right? You tried 10 different tracks against it. What worked? And then other times it's opportunistic, right? Like the case of, mm-hmm. we did this really fun Super Bowl campaign for Shock Top a few years ago in the US. And we did it with this hilarious comedian, this Colombian kid, Martin Montana. So funny. He was the voice of Shock Top and also TJ Miller. It was amazing. But we did the campaign originally for Shock Top in Canada, Anomaly Toronto. We came up with the idea, It Speaks for Itself, was the platform. That was the name of it. Shock Top, It Speaks for Itself. And it was about how the beer was so good. We don't need to tell you about it, right? Like beer brands, a lot of times, especially craft beer brands, when craft was blowing up five or six years ago, you know, it was taking all of its cues from wine. So there was all this like chat around provenance and how it's made and the process and the grapes and the end, like, and it was just, it was kind of up its own butt. And so we went, we don't want to do that, right? Like Shock Top is going to be straight, speaks for itself. So we came up with this campaign. It was all content. None of it was TV ads. We didn't run a single television commercial. We made two, three minute length films for the digital and social space. They ran online. It was basically a beer tap with the logo, which was an orange wedge. 
and it was it would come alive and talk to people and people would be freaked out and oh my gosh and then they'd have this hilarious conversation with this improv comedian Martin who was the voice of Shock Top and he went, you know, what are you drinking and why don't you try me? And it was great. And it was so successful, basically Shock Top in the US said, Hey, we want to run that campaign down here. And then it quickly turned in, by the way, hey, we want to do a Super Bowl spot. And I think we had nine weeks. So Budweiser, nine months, wow. prep, research, go, rounds, music, everyone, right? All in, all hands on deck, brief 10 teams. Let's see the best ideas that come back. Shock Top, hey, we got nine weeks to take this campaign that's been killing it up in Canada and turn it into a US Super Bowl spot. Wait, what? So I think it's, it's so different, right? It changes every single time. So, but it's always fun. It's always fun. And it's a good mm-hmm. career ambition in this business, Mitzi. So I'm rooting for you. Thank you. One more question about it. Are Super Bowl like ads still relevant in your opinion? Like I know there, we talked a little bit about how there's like a Super Bowl ad season almost. So like every ad is online for a while and they get talked about and you kind of know what the Super Bowl ads are almost right before the game starts. People are already talking about them. Has that changed the effectiveness of Super yeah. Bowl ads or yeah. how do you think you've evolved your approach. Yeah, it's a great, great, great question, Mitzi. So yes, I think Super Bowl campaigns are still effective and they are still, but they're not for everyone. So I'd go, why are they effective? How are they, you know, the way it's, so it's changed completely, right? Like it used to be the Super Bowl, you'd watch, you'd be glued to your TV, you talk during the game and you shut everyone up during the commercials, right? And you sort of, it's the first Mm -hmm. time you see nearly every (laughs) single one is on the day. And then years ago, it started like, you know, there's, you'd see a couple of commercials, maybe a day or two before. Now it's like, 80% 80% of the ads are online by Wednesday before the Sunday game. So it's like everyone's seen almost everything before it's it's come out. So that's changed, right? So I think the like single impact moment, 125 million plus people glued to the TV, seeing this message all together at the same time for the first time, which was magic, by the way. I wish we could go back to that. That's gone, right? I think that's different. Now it's like people are seeing it different times, different ways. So, so all of a sudden, like the social conversation around it is been dispersed and it's fragmented and all that kind of stuff. But I do still think it is a huge impact. And it depends again on the brand and what you're trying to accomplish, right? Like if you still, like if awareness is a big problem for your brand or your business or your product, well, you could argue there's still no better way to get that reach than the Super Bowl, right? Because even though it's all spread out, you're still going to hit 100 million people plus, right? Like sports, live sports is kind of like probably the only appointment viewing television left, really, right? Where people are sort of huddled around the TV. So even if they've seen it before, at least they'll all see it again on that day in that moment. And then you you know, you know, hope it was good enough to get people to chat about it on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all that good stuff, right? So, so, I think, so I think, yes, if awareness is your game. And then I think for some of the bigger companies, it's almost like I was laughing about the Met Gala because when I saw all the photos from it a week or two ago, it's such a big part of popular culture in New York City, right? Like the Met Gala, the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at them going, it's so stupid. This year, with everything going on in the world, why is this still a priority for so many people? Then I thought about it, and it's like, well, I bet you for some of these folks, if I was ever invited to the Met Gala, I would roll my eyes, and I would, but then I would for sure go, right? Because I think part of it's like not being there almost says something, right? It's like, well, where's Tom Brady? Why isn't Tom Brady at the Met Gala this year, you know? And I think it's the same for Super Bowl. If you're a big company and you're publicly traded, right? And for analysts and Wall Street and stockbrokers and, and Main Street and everyday Americans, it's like, whoa, whoa. Pepsi sat out the Super Bowl this year. Wait, wait, Budweiser sat out. What's what's going on? It's almost like it signals there's a problem, you know, I think on some level. And so depending on what you're trying to do, I think the Super Bowl is still really, really important. But you need to have a plan and you need to plan for the pre, the days before. You need to plan for the game. You need to have a social media war room ready for like real-time engagement. Hopefully people are chatting about it and you got to be quick on it. 
And then you got to have the post plan, right? The day after Super Bowl when all this ad meters are running and it, like, what are you doing then? So it's like what used to be nine months to obsess about the single film is now like nine months to build a really complex week-long 360 integrated campaign that takes account for PR, social media, comms, content, crisis management if you need it, all that. Let's go. I'm ready. Is that helpful? Giddy up. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, throw me in. Yeah, love it, man. So Anomaly does some great Super Bowl commercials. You do incredible work for a lot of different notable brands, but Anomaly also produces its own brands. Yeah. And we've chatted a little bit about innovation. Can you talk about some of the brands that you guys have produced, why you do that, and what some of the highlights have been? Sure, sure. At our place, we call it intellectual property. So it was one of our three pillars when we started the company. We're always going to invest and do IP. So we've done it since our inception 17 years ago. We've had many, many failures through the years, right? Lots of things we tried and they just, for one reason or another, don't take hold, don't become successful. But there's so much value in learning in the failures, which ultimately then hopefully, as it has for us, leads to successes. So I worked on a bunch of the failures early days, right? We had tried to do a t-shirt brand called Identity a long time ago, where we would print music lyrics that begin with the letter I onto t-shirts. So famous lyrics. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm a hustler, baby. I want to dance with somebody. Because we believe then, like, wow, music is so, is so entwined with identity for someone's individual identity. So we're going to make these t-shirts. It was going to be amazing. They were packaged in a record sleeve. When you bought it, you would get, this is dating myself, but when you bought this record sleeve vinyl that had a t-shirt in it made with African organic cotton from Bono's wife and called Eden Live, and you would get this code that would give you 15 free iTunes downloads. Can you imagine that? A world where you would go to (laughs) iTunes and download, pay 99 cents for an individual song, right? But we're like, this is the hottest thing since sliced bread, man. This is like we're not going to be able to keep these identities on the shelf, and we did. <laughs> we had like one moment, and then you know, I think two years later, we were sending the t-shirts, like donating them. So with lots of failures, right? But I think the successes. We created EOS. I think it's pretty sure it's still the number one selling lip balm, both in the U.S. and Canada. The little egg, the round egg, EOS. Mm-hmm. We we created that. We designed it. We did the packaging for it. We did the launch for it. The visual identity for it. We created a brand called Avec Eric which is a culinary brand, a multimedia culinary brand that we do in partnership with Eric Repair, who's a phenomenal French chef. Any foodies listening, you might know Eric. He's been on lots of cooking shows. Of course, he's friends with all the who's who's in the, in the chef world, but he's the executive chef and owner of Le Bernardin, which is like the highest rated Michelin star restaurant in New York City. So he's the real deal. But we started this with him 10 years ago. We've done three book deals. We've done two or three seasons of a TV show. So those are some of the older ones, Eos and Avec Eric. And then more recently, we created a medical cannabis brand called Dosist. So we launched that in 2016, at the end of 2016. We were fortunate. Time Magazine named it that year as one of the 25 best inventions of the year, which is a pretty cool honor from Time Magazine. And that's now the number one premium cannabis brand in, in California. And it's all about helping people with really specific need states. So we have one called relief for people who suffer with chronic pain. We have one called sleep for people who suffer with anxiety. So it's a really healthy alternative to prescription pills and chemicals. So we've done Dosist or just this year, we launched a new one, a new IP called Obi, O-B-I-E. I'll give it a plug. You can look for it in the iOS app store. It's an app we created to basically democratize reproductive health for women. Right, we started learning. Obviously, a lot of people, especially now, as as families sometimes waiting longer to have kids, and you're older in age, it's harder and harder physically and biologically to have kids, and that's a tough journey. And we realize a lot of the information is misinformation, or it's really, really expensive. Right, it's 
it's walled off to the very fortunate few who can afford, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in vitro things and all this kind of stuff. And so we partnered with this incredibly talented doctor and said, Hey, we want to create this brand with you. And so that just launched and it's it's been really successful. So so lots of different things and it comes out in lots of different ways. Actually, if I could share one more, because I'm super proud of this one. And it's in partnership with an employee. So I referenced before that we do this thing at Anomaly called Funded, F-U-N-D-E-D, Funded. And it's kind of our version of like Shark Tank. We started it years ago. And it started really just as a way to reward the entrepreneurial spirit, right, inside of our place. And, you know, people come to Anomaly and everyone's got ideas. And we said, we'll do this once every two years or so. We'll invite our employees to submit ideas they have for a new brand, a new product, a new service. There's like selection criteria and we have judges and they submit them. And then basically we pick a winner. And, you know, we usually give the winner a bit of cash, so like $15,000, 10 or 15 grand, and then a little bit of help. You know, we ring fence it so it doesn't turn into a forever thing, but, you know, two months, we're going to help you with design or strategy or, you know, make your first commercial for you or whatever. Anyway, we did it a few years. We, we had an amazing one come out of Anomaly Toronto, a friend of mine, personal friend named Victor Radix, who was working with us at the time as a photographer. He won funded one year and he used the money and the help that we gave him to launch Moto Social, which is this really rad motorcycle club. You should check it out. Moto Social, they're all over the world now. At the time, he had only done it in Toronto. And I think now he's in like 15 countries and 20 cities or something crazy like that. But in New York, we had this woman named Katie Brown. Katie Brown is an account girl, account supervisor, I believe. She worked on Panera Bread and then Booking. Anyway, she submitted an idea for funded, and she's like, hey, I have an idea. I'm from West Texas. I grew up on a ranch in West Texas, and in far West Texas, people drink this cocktail called ranch water. It's not a very appetizing name, but it's a very delicious cocktail, and it's made with agave and lime juice and all this kind of stuff. She's like, so I want to create a brand named Lone River Ranch Water, and I want to package it up, and it's going to be awesome. And we're like, that's really cool. You know what? She won funded. We got behind her. We gave her a little bit of money. We helped her with the strategy, with the positioning, with the design. And again, like I said, we do this to reward entrepreneurial spirit and hustle, have a bit of fun. Hopefully, you know, it turns into something for these folks on the side. Well, with Katie, what ended up happening is a few months later, she quit. And we're like, wait, what? No, don't quit. That's like the opposite of what we want, right? Like we do these things to get more emotional investment and you're leaving. And she's like, yeah, I just feel like I'm really called to pursue this this full time and I want to give it a go. And we're like, cool, we respect that. So she quit. She went, you know, Lone River Ranch Water full time. She launched it, created it, got it off the ground, launched it just in Texas to begin with. And it was so successful in her first year, it was recently acquired by Diageo, which is the largest spirits company in the world. You know, they, wow. own, they own Johnny Walker and Don Julio and Casamigos and Crown Royal and all that kind of stuff. They bought Lone River from her for, I'm sure, a lot of money, which is amazing for Katie. And then she came back and, and then hired us now to be her agency. So we, we just created our first campaign for Lone River Ranchwater, which you can check out online. It's pretty cool. We did a spot with Ryan Bingham, who's actually a, a real cowboy. He's a real cowboy, a real musician, but he's an actor as well. He's on Yellowstone, which is absolutely one of my favorite shows. And so we got him to star in the ad and do this beautiful poetry. It was just cool though, full circle, right? To kind of say, we want to reward entrepreneurial talent and hustle. So we create this program for it. You hope that people can be somewhat successful, but you never really expect it to because it's hard, right? To build something from nothing. And you go inside of two or three years to see the success Katie's had and now we get to work on something that we helped her build. I mean, yeah, I couldn't be more proud. And I think that's that's why we do it. So it's a long-winded way to answer the question, which is why do we do it? You hope you can build some business success and make some money along the way, but really you do it to reward and foster creativity and reward and foster the entrepreneurial spirit inside of your company. And if you do that, like we started at the beginning of this thing, go commit to the culture, right? If entrepreneurialism is a culture of your company, 
well, then what are you doing to foster it? You can't just hire people who have the entrepreneurial spirit and then hope that they do entrepreneurial things. No, you have to, like anything else, you need to feed it and nurture it and help it grow. Love it, man. That's amazing. Two really incredible stories. Actually, a lot of stories there. Mm-hmm. But Vic Radix, we actually had on the on the podcast. I think it was season one or two. Oh, awesome. So we love that guy and what he's doing with Moto Social. Yeah, and then it sounds so like good. we need to have Katie on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's Katie is, uh, man, I tell you, she is a force. Like anyone from Texas, right? Big, strong personality. She's incredible. She was just named last week on, again, I think it was Inc. Magazine. She was featured in their Founders 100, like 100 influential female founders to know. And she was in there and I was Amazing. Like, so I couldn't cool. be more proud. You know, it's what she's doing. It's awesome. So good, man. Well, we can end it here. We've got two simple questions that we sure. ask everybody. One is who's making waves right now and why? The other one is where can listeners connect with you after this? Great, great, great. Who's making waves and why? I'll give you an answer. The first one that popped into my head, it's not, a, not necessarily in our business or directly, but Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos is making waves. Anthony Ramos, if you've not heard of him, he's a Puerto Rican kid from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I know him personally because he goes to our church, C3NYC, but also he is an actor and a musician. And Anthony got his start, I believe, in Hamilton. He was in the original cast from Lin-Manuel Miranda for the Hamilton production. Awesome. And then after that, just went on to do lots of other great things at a show on Netflix with, with Fat Joe. He most recently was in the movie In the Heights which you know, obviously just launched mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Loved that movie. And I just think he's making waves because he is a genuine triple threat talent, right? He can act his butt off. If you ask him though, I think, I think, I don't want to misspeak, I think his first love is still music. So if he could choose, like I think he really loves singing and he's got two albums out on Spotify, which are really dope. So he can act for real. He can sing really well and he can dance and he's handsome. He's super handsome, little Puerto Rican guy. So I'm super, yeah, I'm, re- I'm just really proud of him. I'm proud of what he's doing to see him infiltrating all these spaces, music and acting and doing it in a way that I think just represents Latinos really well and represents Puerto Ricans from Brooklyn. Everything we're about, the hard work, the commitment to the culture. He's just, he's doing it really well. So check him out. If you don't know him, you haven't seen him, like look into his music. He's really dope. And then the second thing where people can connect with me, I mean, you know, I'm an open book, so you can like... If you're interested in Anomaly, by the way, we're always looking for great talent. Go to our website, anomaly.com. Click on people, scroll down, find my face, Frankie Rodriguez. Shoot me an email. Love to meet. As busy as things get, I still try and carve out on average 20% of my total time working every year. I try and give to basically networking, interviewing people, meeting people, because I think that's how important it is in our business to be connected to, to incredible talent. So you can hit me up there or Frankie Nux at Frankie Nux. That's the same handle for Twitter. Instagram, TikTok, all the platforms. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Frankie. This has been really great. Well, thank you. This has been really fun. And for, again, for everyone listening, I don't know when these things go live. I guess my final word would be hang in there. It's been really tough, but I really genuinely believe we're about to turn the corner on this thing. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think people are going to be looking to us, people in the creative business. I genuinely believe this. And I hope it comes across in the spirit of humility in which I intend it, because I'm not trying to brag or whatever, but I genuinely believe people who tell stories, creative storytellers in any shape or form, music, film, and yes, even advertising and marketing, we are going to be the ones people look to, to help pull them emotionally out of this sort of dark, challenging place we've all been in. You know, there's a famous quote, I think it's a Native American proverb. It says, tell me the truth and I'll listen. Tell me a fact and I'll learn, but tell me a good story and it'll stay in my heart forever. And so I think for all of us who tell stories or who get to help people tell stories or make stories, 
we do genuinely have the power to, to, I think, change the world for the better. So hang in there. We're almost through it. Man, thank you. I couldn't agree more. We said earlier in the conversation that this was a couple years in the making, and I, I think it's safe to say that it was well worth the wait. Oh, so absolutely. thanks, Frankie. Oh, thank, thank you. So I appreciate it, man. Love you guys. Appreciate what you're doing. And hopefully we connect up IRL sometime soon. 100%. Yeah, that'd be amazing. All right, y'all. Cool. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Appreciate you going over. Hope you have a great day. We'll talk soon. You too. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at Wave Social on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.